Yes, it's Ladies' Fright. We tell spooky stories and try to figure out what about them makes them so scary. Using personal anecdotes, psychology, and sociology, Lauren, Maggie, and Jackie dive into urban legends, ghost stories, and other tales that give us a good fright. Because this is Ladies' Fright. Oh, what a fright. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, But in there somewhere and all that is a a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it don't write to me complaining oh, that was a fun little promo it's uh, too bad that uh, I hate the oh hello welcome to the mansion of leaves of glen it's a fun little bit that I do uh, for the last uh, couple months now where I pretend to live in a mansion and that I'm not actually recording in my basement with egg cartons nailed to the walls all over the place. Uh, uh, in this mansion, uh, I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week, I'm going to continue to read the last half of Warrior Made of Mars by Alfred Koppel. Uh, it's a story of planetary romance, even though I haven't really heard any romance yet. Just a lot of references to fingering of swords, which is gross. Alfred Koppel... As born the November 9th, 1921, he died May 30th, 2004. And as I alluded to in the previous episode, uh, my oldest daughter was born in 2005, which means that in 2004, when my then wife and I were uh, uh, copulating uh, and trying to conceive this child, uh, he, uh, he died. So that weighs heavily on me. Uh, he's an American author, born in Oakland, California. I can't. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I have something weighing heavily on me. Uh, I said that right this time. Uh, That the turds from the promo you just heard, uh, Ladies Fright Podcast, which you can find at Ladies Fright uh, on any of your podcast apps of choice. And you can also find them on Instagram and uh, Twitter uh, at Ladies Fright. And they're also on uh, uh, TikTok. Uh, which I don't know what their username is on there, but I'm sure if you just look for Ladies Fright, you'll probably, you'll probably find them. Probably not a lot of people on TikTok called Ladies Fright. But, uh... Oh, I... Oh, they're still picking an old Glenn. Uh, I found out that, uh... Maggie, over at Ladies Fright, sent me a message saying, Okay, guess what? Uh, we just recorded our uh, next episode, which will come out in July. And, uh... And, uh... You wouldn't believe Jackie did an impression of you. Oh, I can't wait for you to hear it. She did an impression of me. And I'm supposed to find that flattering. I mean, I do. It means someone's actually listening to my podcast, which is a, which is a real hoot. Uh, which is probably the only reason why these human turds who spend their free time laughing at old Glenn, uh, I still interact with them because nobody else is listening and interacting. So it's a, it's... 
Uh, it's like having a your murderer say, oh, I really like the drawings you do. Can I look at some more? And it's like, uh, well, all right. I mean, no one else asks, so I guess I'll show them to you. Uh, so Jackie's doing an impression of me. God knows what that's going to sound like. So I've decided that every episode from now until July, I'm going to spend my time trying to convince all of you not to listen to that episode. Much like Trump spent all his free time trying to prevent anyone from seeing his tax returns. That's how I'm going to treat their July episode of the Ladies Fright Podcast. Uh, this is turning into a lady. Uh, this is turning into a, uh, an offshoot of the Ladies Fright Podcast. I feel like I should talk about other things. So I'll tell you about the last Friday when a woman showed up my door and I rubbed my hands together and said, I, I am lonely. So I opened the door and said, hey, hello. And the woman said, uh, hi, I'm from the city. And uh, one of your trees is dead. And I said, well, I've had five different trees on my property cut down because they're all dead. And it takes months uh, for each, uh, for the tree guys to come out and do it. Uh, why are you telling me about it? Uh, and she said, oh, you got, you got two weeks to cut it down. I said, like I just said, it takes months. Also, I don't have a job. So how am I supposed to make this happen? And she said, well, lucky for you, the city will provide tree removal uh, service, but uh, it's going to cost you a ton. And I said, I don't have a job. And she said, oh, we'll put it on your, your local taxes at the end of the year. And I said, how much do you cost? She said, I don't know, but it's a ton. Nope, don't care. I'm too busy complaining, so I don't care that the grandfather clock is going off to let me know when to shut up. I'm on a, on a tear right now. So I said to her, uh, well, that sucks. Do I have anything I can do here to avert this? And she said, no. Oh, good. Now the music's ending, too. Don't care. Going on. Uh, I said, no. Uh, well, whatever. And then she said, oh, these trees over here, they also look like they're dying. And they're the trees that are real tight against between my house and the neighbor's house, where the previous tree guy said, we can't cut that down unless we bring in a giant professional crane. So uh, he said it'll cost $5,000 per tree. I have four trees, and they're all dying. And they're all along that side of the house where they need a crane to pull them out and stuff. Uh, so I thought... Ah, beautiful visage of a woman comes to my door and treats me just like Ladies Fright Podcast. Okay, well, with that, it's just sitting here in silence and I feel weird. Uh, why, don't we, why don't we dive into the story and try to pretend that all this horrible crap isn't piling up on me at the same time? Well, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Ah, well, let's get back to the story. Uh, Tellus, the main character who won an election, decided to start war with, a, I'm guessing, humans, terrarians or something like that. Uh, he gets abducted to a fantasy city called maybe Doris. Not sure. And uh, he's brought... Uh, there to convince him to leave the Terrarians alone because they're going to give us a lot of technology we definitely need to fix our planet problems. I hate this book. I hate all the terminology. They expect me to uh, know. And, uh, well, all right, fine, let's dive in. I'm just, I'm uh, angry, Glenn. Tellus measured him carefully and swung. 
with all the power and coordination of a soldier's superbly conditioned body behind it. Oh, here we go. Tell his first fist caught the priest on the point of his jaw and knocked him sprawling to the head of thick carpet. Quickly dropping to his knees, Tellus uh, relieved the fallen man of his two swords and stun gun. He strapped them to his own hard ass and looked about for a means of reviving the priest. Well, then why'd you hit him in the first place? Taking the wine bottle from the table, he splashed some of the dark fluid into Gorla's face. Oh, Gorla, that's right. Uh, For some reason, I thought Gorla was a a woman's name, but found out later it's a male priest. So he just poured wine all over his face. Seems like a weird thing to do. Uh, If anything, all the other priests are going to think that he's an alcoholic. For a moment, Tellus had the feeling that it had all been too easy. What, they put Gorla out there on purpose to get hit in the face? But he drove the misgivings from his mind and concentrated on the next steps in his break for freedom. The young priest sat up fingering his jaw gingerly. He's got to stop fingering things. That's all he ever do in this story. There was a reproachful look in his eyes. Tell us! Oh, you can't escape if that's what you intended by striking me. Uh, give me back my weapons. Tellus smiled savagely. Oh, no, no, my good and faithful friend. Uh, now get up. Up, I say, or I'll split you where you lie. Why would you hit him again when he's laying on the ground? Gorla gave him a rueful smile. Oh, this is just two, two boys fussing and fighting. By the goddess, I believe you'd do it too. <laughs> there is a, a girl here. Uh, here we go. Tellus snapped. Uh, what do you know about her? If the girl actually were a Terulian, she would be an invaluable hostage. Uh, girl? Gorla looked puzzled. Uh, quickly. Uh, it is true. as uh, a girl here, but... Now who is she? Uh, why was she brought here? Demanded Tellus. Uh, she was found by one of our patrol sleds. Really? Sleds? Lost in the desert and near dead. Now they picked her up and brought her here. Since then, she has remained dot 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 voluntarily. Well, at least it's a real ellipses. Uh, not like a, a five to six dot ellipses. Tellus gave a short, hard laugh. <laughs> you can do better than that, Gorla. The priest shrugged. Uh, then why ask me if you don't intend to believe the truth? Well, I'll hear it from her. We are leaving, friend, and she goes with us. Uh, Gorla shrugged again. As you wish, Tellus. There seems to be nothing I can do to stop you. Then... Lead me to her quarters. His focus on her is pretty damn creepy. And not a sound out of you. Uh, Do you understand? Tellus prodded the priest gently with the short sword. They're friends. Why is he bothering to prod him a short? Just, all right. But command me, Lord, muttered Gorla sarcastically. Uh, He picked himself up off the floor and Tellus snatched the cloak from his cassock and wrapped it around the gleaming blade of the short sword, still keeping the point at the base of the priest's spine. Oh, don't force me to use this, Gorla. Uh, he hissed in the other's ear. Gorla shook his head silently and led the way off down the corridor. Uh, the early hour was well chosen for the whole towering edifice seemed to be deserted. Somehow, Tellus felt too, too deserted. The whole magnificent megalopolis, great, uh, that was doorless, oh, that's what's called doorless, seemed to sleep serenely under the mantle of invisibility. In a, in a tight silence, uh, Gorla led Tellus until they stood before a closed door uh, uh, near the ground level, uh, 
Open it, commanded Tellus. I, I have no key, Gorla protested. Cursing under his breath, Tellus tied the door latch, uh, tried it, uh, and to his surprise, it gave easily as the door swung open. Tellus lifted his sword, half expecting a trap, but no attack came from the darkness beyond the portal. He shoved Gorla through the and closed the door. Uh, the door uh, closing in around them, uh, a light, whispered Tellus. Gorla touched a switch on the wall. Really? Light switches? 1940s technology, just right there where they have flying sleds and ray guns. We have Google now, where you can just tell it to turn the lights on. I'll stop. I'm just depressed. This book was not as fun as I was hoping it'd be. On the great bed near the far wall, great bed. Oh, the girl sat. Bedclothes held to her breast, staring at them. Uh, Curiously, not shocked, not frightened, not terrified, just curiously. It was strange, thought Tellus, that she showed no fear. And stranger still was the fact that her face was encased now with a bag-like contraption made of the same unusual material as the jumper he remembered seeing her wear. It was stretched tight by internal pressure that apparently came from a small cylinder at her bedside and uh, connected to the mask by a flexible metal tube. Oh, uh, she's got sleep after you. That's one of those CPAP machines. I had to wear one of those once, and uh, it was emasculating, and I swore I'd never wear it again. This poor lady's got to wear it for some weird reason. Uh, some new and strange addiction, wondered Tellus. Oh, the addiction to perfect sleep. It was not up, uh, unknown upon lore for some to succumb to the lure of narcotics. Uh, what with the incessant warfare jangling the nerves uh, and the ever-present specter of doom hanging over the whole planet. Oh, Dallas himself had, had ooh, tasted gas <laughs> from a similar contraption on one of his hedonistic revels. Whatever that uh, drug was... He had seen her without the baglight helmet in the central temple. Addiction might account for her seeming illness that he was so well remembered from the previous day. Oh my God, please don't tell me she's a drug addict and he's going to save her. Oh, there was no sign of illness about her. Now he stared at her, his breath catching in his throat. <clears throat> Exotic woman! Exclamation point. Near at hand, her beauty was almost a living, tangible thing. Her hair gleamed, and her skin was palely translucent. Her, uh, like the purest alabaster. Mm -hmm. That's a way of describing things. The refraction of the light through the transparent mass surrounded her face with a glowing nimbus that made Tellus think of the solidiographic icons of the goddess. Not looking it up, her lips uh, were full, almost sensuous, and her dark, great dark eyes looked at him, yeah, quizzically, but not afraid. There's no time to explain, said rapidly. We're leaving this place now. She nodded without surprise, as though she had known exactly who was going to say. Tell us a motion for her to get up, and for a moment she waited. But when Tellus showed no sign of turning around, she slipped out of bed and covered herself quickly with the, with the blouse and the harness that lay on a chair nearby. As she did so, she slipped the transparent mask off, and even as Trellis watched uh, her appreciatively, appreciatively, God, this is so creepy. Everything is so creepy. She is a per... I'm going to stop. He could see the illusion of health fade from her face. A pinched look appeared, and a, a thin line of blue formed around her mouth, and she seemed short of breath. 
I would not be surprised if the next line I read is, you should smile more. It makes you look more attractive. The girl adjusted her harness about her, making sure that the contents of each pouch were there. Then she slipped herself into the transparent jumper and reached for the mask. Tellus caught her arm. The mask stays here. You should just smile more. <laughs> the girl looked perplexed. She looked to Gorla for aid. The young priest moved to intervene, but Tellus motioned him aside. Now, Tellus spoke sharply. You may have to fly an air sled. He paused. You can, you can fly one, can't you? Now, the girl nodded. I have learned to fly one, she said, but my mask... I need it. The girl's face looked stricken at the thought of leaving her precious mask behind, but Trellis uh, uh, hardened himself. He could not let this escape be risked by her unpredictable actions. Besides, he had seen her in the temple without the mask, so it was not a matter of life and death for her. Uh, it's all speculative. What if she just, like, can go for an hour without it? The mask stays, Tellis said flatly, and for a long moment there was something like sheer terror on the girl's face. Then, oh, he's going to save her from drug addiction. Then, as though by an effort of the will, she composed herself and nodded in agreement. Oh, it is going to be him saving her. Trellis, I keep saying Trellis. Tellis was forced to admire her courage. I'm just going to say Trellis from now on. Screw it. I hate this book. Gorla seemed to realize that any comments that he might make concerning the mask of the girl, Trellis uh, would not believe. Since for the moment, they had found themselves enemies. Eh, he decided to maintain discreet silence and uh, a hope for the best. And now, friend Gorla ordered Tellus, lead us uh, to the landing field and get us an air sled. It is a long way back to the capital, and I have no intention of trying to make it uh, on Sithback, uh, not as long as your temple guards are so handy with the aircraft. For anyone coming into the second half of the book, and all the terminology you're hearing is confusing and annoying, um, this is a lot like what I watched a YouTube video from a, uh, what do you call it, YouTuber? Vlogger? Does anyone say vlogger anymore? Uh, Sarah Zed, talking about why people don't like the McElroy brothers anymore uh, on podcasting. Uh, because, uh, I don't know, whatever. They had a D&D game and people just got super dorky about it and very picky. And all of a sudden there was like sort of like uh, infighting happening. I don't care. But she did point out. That one of the McElroy brothers is running the D&D game and set up this entire world with a lot of terms, dumb names, uh, different kind of terminology for things like time. And you're expected to know all of it right off the bat and memorize all of it instead of being sucked into the story. That's exactly the people hated it like crazy. And that's exactly what this book is. So for you tuning in, I apologize for how annoying this is. Like a bemused sleepwalker, Gorla led the way out of the building and through the dark streets. No, no beam of light, now permitted. The light shield surrounded the temple city, and, uh, and Trellis found the protecting darkness uh, much to his liking. The drowsy guards at the gate looked curiously at the trio, but recognized Brother Gorla and made no effort to stop. Soon, they were at the landing field, and Gorla had run out of the very air sled that it brought Trellis to the Temple City. Trellis stepped into the forward cockpit and tested the jet. It came readily to life under the practice hands, and he motioned Gorla and the girl in beside him. 
Fly low, the girl said, almost pleadingly. Uh, he led the stun gun within easy reach and turned to Gorla. Not that I uh, don't trust you, my old friend, he said with a thin smile, but I will feel much more comfortable if you were well behaved while I'm flying. Gorla made no reply. He merely shrugged and wrapped himself in his cassock as best he could. Trellis glanced around at the sleeping field. Far across the landing area, lights were flashing on. The sound of the air sled's jet had awakened the attendants, and soon they would be giving the alarm, but there was no chance for anyone to stop them. Now, almost disdainfully, Trellis shoved the throttle forward on the quadrant, and the jet roared. There's a jet on this thing that only goes 20 miles per hour. With a hissing of runners, the sled moved swiftly across the red sand into the air. Zooming low over the buildings at the far end of the field, the sled drove out into the blackness. Then, with breathtaking suddenness, it slashed through the light shield, and through the lights of Dorlis vanished while the heavens came alive with the, with the early morning stars. Trellis uh, pointed the sled's blunt nose at the hatefully, hatefully beautiful morning star. Okay. No, that's a weird way of describing that. That was uh, Terra riding low on the eastern horizon. Presently, he leveled the craft and reduced his speed to a maximum cruising power of 20 miles per hour. Just skimming the reddish dunes, they sped eastward uh, into the sudden glory of the desert lawn. Part four. Oh, God, how many parts are to this story? At noon, uh, Trellis took time to search the sled's storage locker. Turning the controls over to the girl, he, he crawled across the bare deck onto the rear cockpit. Oh, most sleds that were used for over-the-desert flying carried emergency rations and weapons uh, for the use of anyone unfortunate enough to need them. In the matter of uh, weapons, he was doomed to disappointment, for this particular sled carried none. There was a oh, a, a, oh, a small packet of concentrates, whatever that means, and a flask of precious water. Uh, Trellis gathered the packet in his arms and turned to start back toward the forward cockpit. Uh, he stopped short. Uh, from his vantage point behind her, uh, Trellis could see that the girl had, had taken a small cube from her pouch. Oh, oh, and she was holding it to her ear. For several seconds, she sat there. Uh, quite still as though listening, and then she turned the cube and held it to her lips for a moment and returned it to the pouch in her belt. Oh, he scrambled back to his place beside her, demanding, uh, That cube! What was it? A cube? In there! Trellis touched the pouch that hung at her side. Ah, oh, yeah. Oh, you must have been mistaken. There's no cube, she said. Perhaps you, you saw me checking my compass? She reached into the pouch and drew out a small magnetic compass in a square metal case. Hey, you see? Trellis frowned. Oh, it was possible that he had been mistaken, but he was inwardly most certain that the compass he held in his hand was not the cube that he had seen the girl using. Oh, 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 for a moment he toyed with the idea of searching her, but uh, reconsidered. Yeah, that would be a disgusting scene for me to have to read out loud. Because I'm sure to get weird. Uh, the sled would not touch the ground again until it landed in the capital near the Grand Canal. Oh, there was no possible way that the girl could harm him or interfere with his plans now. And perhaps the cube was a, a happy gas inhaler. He just keeps accusing her of drug addiction. Maybe she has medication that keeps her alive on this planet. I, why do I care? Why am I getting upset? 
<laughs> I hate this book already. Why am I getting worked into the details? He looked searchingly into the girl's face, and she looked as though she could use some stimulant. <laughs> He's constantly accusing, oh, stimulant like good conversation or just more drugs? The blue about her mouth and the tight, pinched look on her face seemed to have worsened since leaving Dorless. She actually looked ill. She gave him a, a wan smile, and he decided to question her no more for the present. Opening the packet of concentrates, what does that mean? He offered her uh, one and passed the pack to Gorla. Then he passed the water flask around, cautioning them to drink sparingly. Is it really? It's because riding on these sleds takes so long you could actually starve while in the air. As the hours passed and the sun began to slide down toward the western hills, uh, Trellis began to worry about their navigation. Not knowing the exact location of the Temple City, he could only guess at the proper course for the capital. Oh, and the low altitude made navigating oh very difficult. Trellis decided to climb higher and see if he could not, uh, catch a glimpse of the Grand Canal or, or some other uh, familiar landmark. Landmarks in a desert. He nosed the sled upward slightly and edged the throttle forward, sending the sled upward toward the cobalt sky. The girl was looking down over the side at the desert rushing by, though uh, there was nothing to be seen but uh, rust-red sand. Something about the desolate waste seemed to yeah, please her. Trellis touched her arm to attract her attention. Oh, we've been together almost a day and and I, I don't even know your name. Yeah, he's too busy accusing her of shit all the time. He said, uh, I am Trellis of Lars. Well, the girl smiled back at him. My name's Leslie Carr, she returned. Leslie. Trellis turned the name on his tongue. It had a, ooh, uh, a foreign flavor. As exotic, Leslie, as exotic and lovely as the girl herself. And two names, Leslie and Carr. Charles found the last hard to pronounce. Really? Leslie would be the more complicated one. Now he wondered, hey, why two names? She must be a person of consequence in her homeland. Charles thought of the cube, perhaps a signaling device, and a thought struck him. The temple? No, it was not likely. A nagging doubt remained. He recalled uneasily how the simple, the escape plan had been, uh, too simple. Was this girl an agent of the temple? Or had his first suspicion that she was a Terulian been right? You know, he never had to grab her to begin with. He could just escape. But he made a point of grabbing the lady who actually covers up most of her body, which clearly excites him into a delirium. Trellis! Gorla broke the silence. Uh, can you tell me where we are? Trellis shook his head. Why are we climbing? Leslie asked. Uh, she looked afraid. Please, I, I asked you to... Trellis cut her off almost sharply. I know what you asked me, but we must get high enough to have a look around us. To be lost out here would mean the end of all of us. An unpleasant end, too. It will be for only a short time. Leslie! This is a weird name for a woman on Mars. Dropped into an uneasy silence. Higher and higher the air sled climbed until at last... Trellis leveled the aircraft off and began a systematic search of the horizon to the east. There was no sign of the greenery that edged the great waterway. Uh, Trellis, Gorla's shout cut across the roaring of the wind. Leslie, look at her. Trellis whirled to look at the girl. The strange malady from which she suffered had chosen this moment to strike her down. For a moment, Trellis was shocked. 
Never had he seen a, a happy gas addict react this way. He's calling it happy gas. Uh, he said it once. I'm like, oh, that's a cute little thing. But no, this is like a real term now. Happy gas is officially a term for a drug that these people use. The thin line of blue that surrounded her mouth was deeper, staining her lips and spreading the tinge of her whole face to it with the azure. Her eyes were closed and her breath came in huge, rasping gasps. Maybe she has asthma. Gorla was cradling her in his arms, chafing her wrists and trying to force water through the slack lips. He looked up at Trellis, uh, shouting friendly, Down, uh, down, Trellis. We have to get her down low. For a moment, Trellis did not understand. Then he, when he realized uh, what he meant, he shoved the sled over into a deep dive. The girl was suffering from oxygen starvation. She seemed to suffer from it chronically. And if the sled did not reach denser air soon, she would die. That was the reason she had feared altitude and had begged that the sled be kept low. And Gorla knew! Exclamation point. Suddenly, uh, the whole improbable picture of the escape flashed for Trellis's eyes and a sick feeling swept over uh, In a panic, Gorla whipped out a transmitter and began to shout into it, fearing the girl's death. His instructions were uh, forgotten, and he began broadcasting for help. Trellis uh, stared for a moment, not understanding. The radio devices used by the temple were un unknown to him. But he knew with an instinctive certainty that Gorla was making contact with the temple guard back in Dorlis. Uh, the rumors he had heard of the temple's methods of quick communication seemed to ring in his ears, and fury took him by the throat. Why hadn't Gorla used the radio before? Was it because the whole escape was a monstrous hoax? Yes, you've established this like five times already. Engineered by the temple for the purpose of somehow shattering the Maldia and what it stood for. The answer was a blazing, irrevocable yes. And to what extent was Leslie Carr involved? Well, she wouldn't have been if you didn't drag her out of her bed and make her come with you, you horny bastard. In his fury, Trellis could not think clearly enough to guess. He, <laughs> he had the helpless feeling of great wheels containing smaller wheels and all spinning and whirring for some darkly unknown purpose. Uh, he snatched a transmitter from Gorla's hand and slammed it over the side. Sick anger filled him. The temple must at this very moment know their exact location from their telltale signal that Gorla had sent in panic for Leslie. What a, what a fool he had been with his escape and his cleverness. Oh, oh, how they must be laughing at him back in Dorless, like Ladies Fright Podcast, laughing at me back in their own little Dorless. May the goddess damn you. Yeah, he gritted at Gorla. Ah, you fool, the priest retorted, his face, uh, round face livid. Uh, you never killed her with your stupid plottings, and your Oh, she will live, snapped Tellus. He knew how to deal with, uh, anoxia? Oh, well, this might be an actual term. Maybe I should look this up. Looking it up. Anaxia. Technical uh, absence of oxygen. Well, that didn't help me. Long campaigns of the air forces of the LAR had taught him, but the rest of it, the debt to be settled with Gorla, uh, that was something else. His fury made him uh, careless, and as he sled touched the sand, it almost overturned. Oh, skidding and careening over the red sand until at last it came uh, uh, to rest at a crazy angle, a crazy angle on the slope of the lone dune. Oh, the jet coughed and died. It's a uh, it's nozzle. Uh, uh, jammed uh, with, with, with sand. 
Oh, quickly, Trellis lifted the insensate girl in his arm and laid her on the sand at full length. Didn't need to do that. And for just a moment, he wondered at her, at her weight. Oh, she seemed almost twice as heavy as she would be for her size. Kind of judgy. Then the urgency of the moment was upon him, and he knelt at her side and placed his lips on hers and began forcing air into her lungs with, with, it, with his own. Presently, she stirred, and Trellis knew with a feeling of great relief that she would recover. He wrapped her in goreless cloak, where the sun was sinking low and the night chill was already in the air. Then he, then he turned to face the priest, a memory rekindling his fury. He caught the man by the cassock and uh, pulled him close. Now, Gorla, you tell me the whole story. All of it. His voice was icy with suppressed anger. But Gorla's eyes were not on him. Instead, they seemed ooh, ooh, centered on something above and behind him. Oh, the priest's features contorted with a, with a sudden fear. And he twisted around, pulling trellis with him. Hey, hey, look out. Now the warning came too late. Ah, the sudden twist. Had saved Trellis's life, but the flashing missile caught him in the shoulder. A missile? A whole missile caught him in the shoulder? A uh, searing pain blazed through Trellis, and he spun around, staggered by the impact of the thrown short sword that had pierced his shoulder. What's with swords? They have floating ships. I'll stop. It's just, I'm exhausted by the absurdity of this story. Uh, through a dancing haze of agony, Trellis could see a ragged line of naked men ooh, uh, and women on the crest of the dune. Each carried a short sword uh, and a long sword. Uh, and, the, and the bodies ooh, the, body, the bodies were filthy and covered with rank hair. Gusky! Exclamation point. What does that mean? A lank woman lifted her arm and pitched her short sword. It stuck in the sand near Leslie Carr's prostrate body, and Trellis threw himself onto the girl, protecting her body. Protecting it. With his own. Trellis threw himself at the girl. With the pain lancing through him from the blade that still impaled him, he freed one of his swords and his stun gun, throwing them to Gorla. Uh, their personal quarrel was forgotten in the heat of the attack. Uh, blood was flowing out of him, uh, gritting his teeth to keep from crying out. Trellis twisted the embedded sword free. With a sobbing moan, he dropped it to the sand, and he fought back with blackness that threatened to engulf him. Uh, Gorla must not fight alone. The priest had sought the shelter of the air sled and was shooting handily at the attackers on the crest, and already he had, he had accounted for, for three men uh, and a woman, and several of their companions. How many is that? Not knowing or caring that the stun gun did not kill, had withdrawn from the fray to butcher the fallen ones into the long strips of bloody, of bloody meat, which they stuffed hungrily into their mouth. Oh, oh, Trellis felt Leslie stir, and, and he struggled to his feet and helped her to the sled. Uh, with surprising quickness, uh, she adapted herself into the necessities of battle, and she took a particular-looking uh, pistol from her pouch and leveled it at the attackers. Oh, a sharp report burst from the weapon in the girl's hand, and on the crest of the dew, a gusky woman shrieked and pitched to the sand. Twelve times this process was repeated, and Trellis began to have hopes that the battle would be won before he himself uh, collapsed uh, and lost blood. It was a, a vain hope. After the twelfth explosion, the weapon fell silent and the strange performance was over. It's not a performance, it's a battle. There was a, a tense lull eh, during which Gusky butchered their dead. 
Oh, gross. And Gorla tried fruitlessly to start the dead motor in the sled. And when the Gusky began to close in, and Gorla and Tellus were both uh, forced to leave the sled and advanced to meet him, uh, Leslie stayed near the aircraft, digging frantically at the jammed jet. To Tellus, ah, his sword seemed uh, suddenly very, very heavy. He, he touched Gorla on the shoulder. At least we'll die. Friends, he has dots between all of that. Together, he muttered. Gorla's face contorted with grief. Friends, more dots. Always, tell us. I never felt any other way, he said simply. Now there's no time for more. Uh, Gusky were upon them, a, a savage shrieking horde of vile-smelling beasts. Uh, naked ones, by the way. Uh, hungering for the taste of human meat. Uh, naked meat. Uh, then there's an illustration. They actually took the time to draw a picture of this battle. Oh, well, according to the illustration, sure, they're naked, but just covered in hair like a, like a, like a, like a, like a chimp. Well, that's not erotic at all. When does the romance start in this story? Time seemed to stand still. Oh, Tellus thrust and, 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 and slashed. Nah, he cut and parried endlessly. And pain was his... This is only reality. Uh, faces appeared before him and, and uh, vanished into gouts of red as his blade found marks. Uh, steadily, his, his strength failed, uh, and finally he, he, he dropped to his knees, still lashing out feebly with his weapon. Uh, suddenly, the cacophony of battle was overwhelmed by the, by the jerky, uneven barking of an alien jet. <laughs> Leslie had cleared, had cleared the nozzle. Oh, good. Startled and fearful of the jet flame, the Gusky shrank back momentarily, and in that moment, Gorla, half-dragged, half-carried, uh, Tellus to the sled. Trellis could feel the movement of the sled as it uh, coursed lamely across the sled. Uh, trying to gain flying speed, he, he heard Leslie, still a weird name in this weird, dumb sci-fi, it's just Leslie, gasp. It's no use, Gorla. Eh... Uh, it can't lift the uh, the three of us with the jet half clogged. Gorla's voice came sharp and clear. That I uh, stay. Take him on. That's the important thing. He must be made to see. Trellis realized with agonizing helplessness that since the sled could not lift three persons, Gorla was remaining behind to, 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 to face the Gusky. He tried to cry out his protest, but uh, he was too weak to do more than moan. Hey, can, can you find the way? Gorla asked the girl. Uh, I have maps. Uh, there's the transmitter, too. And I can come in on the DF fixes, D-F fixes. Oh, God help me. But what about you? Oh, never mind me, dot, dot, dot. Remember, the fate of the world goes with you, dot, dot, dot. And with Chalice, explain that to him, dot, 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 after he knows. Trellis heard the motor speed up again, and he felt the bumping of the runners on the sand, but he was unconscious before the sled lifted the air. Part five! For what seemed a, a long time, Trellis floated in throbbing darkness. Uh, pain eh, spotted little wind devils of fire across the surface of his mind. And uh, it was not a physical pain alone. Oh, oh, two thoughts tortured him constantly. He had failed the Malia, and he had deserted his friend, leaving him to die at the, at the hands of cannibal tribesmen. Eons swept by in that timeless 
vitalizing darkness, and at, the, at last Trellis opened his eyes. For a moment he thought that he was back at the central temple of Dorlis, but his eyes focused more clearly. He, he, he saw that he was in a small, uh, neatly bare room. Oh, the, uh, the walls were white, and one of them seemed to curve gently overhead uh, until it met the first plane of the ceiling. Uh, a cool hand was stroking his forehead. Oh, that's nice. And Trellis turned to meet the eyes of Leslie Carr. She sat at his bedside watchfully. And somehow he knew that she had been there a long time. Her, her clothing was different than he remembered. Uh, her, her harness uh, was gone. Uh, and now her harness, her supple figure, was clad in a straight tunic of dark metallic cloth that, that hung that hung from her shoulders to the middle of her to the middle of her thighs, caught at her small waist by a linked belt. Oh, oh! Her dark hair was swept back from her face, exposing exposing her small <laughs> elfin ears. Uh, there was a, a look of health and vitality about her that that was amazing when Trellis recalled her condition in the air sled. Wah, dot, dot, dot. What magic is this, he asked. Leslie smiled. Nah, yeah, no magic, she said. Only some decent air. Oh, God forbid they would have given her that to begin with. Uh, instead, he just accused her of being a drug addict and, you know, smile more. Well, with that, let's take a break because I'm annoyed and bored because this is the longest thing I've ever read. Uh, why, don't we, why don't we, why don't you and I have a little fun for once? Why don't we go up to the master bedroom, just the two of us? Yeah, we'll have a little fuss and fight a little bit, a little tickle fight. We can do a little pillow fight. What, what kind of fight you want to do? We'll do whatever you want to do. Just get up there. <laughs> go on, get. Oh, hold on. Oh, you beat me to it. <laughs> there you are. Oh, you look magnificent. Look at your... Uh, nubile shapes? What is that, lace? You look fantastic. But I don't like what you're wearing. Uh, put on this wedding ring and these high-waisted jeans. And, uh, I don't know, talk to me a lot about uh, your car payments and your mortgage as I read to you a review of a new and upcoming romance novel called Another Marvelous Thing by Lori uh, Colwyn. Uh, about another marvelous thing? Well, Josephine Billy Delilily. Delilily. Why? Why the ridiculous names? And Francis Clemens, well, that's normal, uh, are happily married, just not to each other. Another marvelous thing is the story of an affair. Oh, from its fabulous inception to its inevitable end, Billy and Francis couldn't be more different, at least when it comes to age and disposition. Now, everything's forbidden in this story, even the age. I don't know, the disposition, we'll find out, but that doesn't uh, prevent them from falling in love and settling into the easy rhythms of romance. Oh, oh, phone calls every morning, ah, rendezvous every weekday afternoon, and the odd out-of-town escape, despite both still being very partial to their spouses. Oh, well, they got a good heart. Uh, in Interconnected Stories, Laurie Colwyn deftly reveals each character's point of view and examines, in razor-sharp detail, the marvelous, in quotes, and messy glory of modern love and the curious desires of the heart. This whirlwind romance, perfectly captured in Kaladesk, 
Frank in funny style? Oh, the author's name, Colin-esque. Oh, wow, really? They think they're up there with Kafka-esque. Well, good for them. Frank in funny style is firm proof that opposites do attract. So if you like a complicated story that's going to make you feel all sorts of ways uh, and probably be lighthearted and hilarious, uh, go get Another Marvelous Thing by Laurie Colwyn and read a Colwyn-esque book. Uh, it's 16 bucks. It's coming out June 8th on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Bookshop.org, Hudson Booksellers, IndieBound, Powell's, Target, uh, my favorite, Books A Million, and uh, Walmart. Well, that really turned me off. Uh, I, I just want something that makes me feel kind of warm and fuzzy inside, and that just seems weird and and uh, going to be complicated. So uh, I don't like the way you look anymore. You look like a married person. I liked it better when you were wearing the lace with your uh, nubile shapes. So uh, I'm disgusted. Why don't we go back down to the uh, library? We can continue reading the rest of this book. This book is laborious. I have never unenjoyed a quote-unquote short story, especially about 1950s science fiction, in my entire life. I even took time out to stop and just water my lawn for a while, just get away from this. But now I'm back, and we're going to dig through this like, uh, like, uh, like when my kids asked me to carve their pumpkin. Oh, Dad, you scoop out the guts, and it takes forever. It's horrible. Trellis drew a deep breath. It was true. The air was different, dot, dot, dot. And, oh, wondrous, all vitality filled him, and with it came a thousand questions. Hey, where was he? Uh, what was this place? Uh, what had happened after the, the fight in the desert? And the question he most wanted answered, what of uh, Gorla? Leslie laid a warning hand over his lips and cautioned him against spending his newfound strength to pro, uh, pro, prodigally, prodigally. Well, let's find out how that works out. What does that mean? Prodigal. Lee, spending money or resources freely and recklessly. Well, we learned that word. Oh, he was healing, she told him, and within a very few days, he would be able to be up and around and and at that time, all his questions would be answered. Uh, this last, she told him with something like a uh, reluctance in her voice. Plainly, wherever they were, Leslie was at home here. The days passed almost, uh, well, too swiftly. A strange man uh, came and went, giving odd medications and uh, dressing his wound. All of his questions were tactically uh, avoided. Yet their concern for a stranger was uh, confusing to Trellis. Uh, by the code that Trellis had lived his six hads with. God, I forgot about that measurement of time. A stranger was ipso facto an enemy. According to that tenant, he had lived and had become a great soldier and a high officer of the lore of lore himself. Now here were strangers <laughs> treating him with kindness uh, dot, 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 and their kindness was striking at the roots of everything he had ever believed. And there was Leslie, the weirdest name in a sci-fi novel. Uh, she remained with him constantly, tending him, 
comforting him with her presence. Trellis felt himself losing his heart to his exotic girl with her kindness and her breathtaking beauty. Four days passed, and then his confinement was over. Oh, he's able to rise from his hospital cot. His harness was brought to him. I love that they wear harnesses. <laughs> I can't get over that. Whenever they say his harness was brought to him, it just seems weird. And even his weapons. Oh, if proof were needed, Trellis thought, the act of returning his weapons proved that he was among friends. And true friends they must be, for they had nursed him and fed him, we get it, and could not forget that his friend had been willing to remain behind, we get it, alone in the Gusky, so that he, we get it, Trellis could be brought here, we get it. And we called uh, the burning question mark. Uh, Why in italics? When he had dressed himself, Leslie came into the room, her face was somber. Trellis, she began. I have uh, something that I must tell you before you leave this room. Believe me, it's not easy. Uh, you see, I I have not been honest with you. Yeah, not that I've lied. Oh, believe me, I haven't. But she broke off momentarily in confusion. Oh, her, her face was flushed. I, I have not uh, let you mislead yourself, and that's very like lying, is it, it? She did not wait for reply, but rushed on. Now I have to stand by and watch you find out who and what I am. Oh, oh, believe me, I have no wish to hurt you or your people, Trellis. I couldn't now. Okay, I couldn't dot, 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 now, dot, 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 because I, dot, 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 I, dot, 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 end quote. She bit her lips. All this is necessary. You had to be convinced, you see, because of your great influence with the lore. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, She gave a short, nervous laugh. (laughs) All this isn't making very much sense, is it? No, replied Trellis, puzzled. You know by now that you were tricked into coming here. Oh, he's all planned by us and by, uh, by the temple. Trellis felt the blood drain from his face. He knew exactly what was coming next. The whole incredible picture was clear. No, I, Trellis, cried Leslie. <laughs> Please under was this the name Leslie always cracks me up. Please understand. Oh, uh, Gorla understood, and he gave his life so that we could make uh, make it could make you see. Uh, can't you see what I'm trying to tell you? Uh, can't, can't you see that if you help us, we can bring the life back to Lar, and that it won't it won't mean ages of senseless warfare. Trellis, uh, try. Trellis of Lars stared, and it all came flooding back to him. All the all the tiny, irrelevant pieces of the picture. Uh, the the mask back in Doorless, uh, a respirator, her need for oxygen. Yeah, it was a CPAP because she has a uh, sleep apnea. Uh, the the uh, anoxia, anoxia that struck her down in the air. So the rich air of his room, the weight, uh, the greater density of heavy gravity, planets, evolution, alien, comma, alien, exclamation point. Leslie Carr could feel the barrier rise between them, and she cried out against it. All oh, tears streaked her face. Even that added to Trellis' sense of alienage. Alienage? <laughs> Lawrence didn't... Is that a word? I'm looking that up. Is alienage a word? Oh, my God, it is. A state or condition of being an alien. Okay, well, I'm the moron. Lorians did not weep. The water in their bodies was far too precious for that. 
It was all too grotesque. He, the former leader of Amalia, beholden to the invaders for his very life. And when the, when the shock began to wear off, his mind to function more clearly, this place with its sloping wall was a compartment in the Trulian spacecraft. Uh, that much was now obvious, and yet they had trusted him with it armed, and they had been kind to him, and they had nursed him back to health after Gusky's wound almost killed him. Eh, why? Oh, it's not enough that he had great influence at the Lar. Uh, he had the feeling that they, uh, in italics, liked him. Uh, could it be, he wondered, that the whole basic philosophy of the Maldia was an error? Oh, the temple spoke of the mighty Terulian science. It could it actually do what the high superior, the Doros claimed? Redeem the planet? Uh, Give it hope again. And there was Leslie <laughs> in that moment of introspection. Oh, Tellus knew with a distinct shock that Terulian or not, he loved her. Why? What What reason does he have to love her? Tellus of Lars, peer of the ancient realm of Lar, member of the dread anti-Terulian Maldia, was in love with an alien woman, exclamation point, creature of another world, uh, different and strange, and yet he loved her, standing there, watching her tears course down her cheeks. Oh, he felt his heart constrict, and he knew that she had won. Uh, please tell us, oh, my tell us, let me show that we can be friends, and she cried. Oh, tell us, stared at her. Friends, he asked thickly. Leslie took a step near, and her eyes suddenly wide. Oh, oh, almost afraid. Uh, it came to tell us in a blinding flash of insight that she, too, was feeling the soul-wrenching conflicts of love for an alien uh, creature. To her, uh, Trellis was an exotic, uh, the outlander. Then, like the snapping of a steel wire, the barrier is broken, and she was in his arms. Oh, he turned his kiss with an almost desperate abandon. Oh, the Trillian camp was a revelation to tell us, guided by Leslie and a group of Trillian scientists. He beheld machines. Oh, they just moved right past the kiss into this now. All right, fine. Well, that ruined the moment. Uh, he beheld machines such as she had not existed on the surface of Lar for 10,000 heads. Uh, here, among the squat, pressurized domes of the camp, uh, were the end products of all the theories of the temple had salvaged from the lost books of the ages. Oh, a power was drawn for the destruction of the infinitesimal particles of the matter by a mysterious process the scientists referred to as a, uh, mm, eh, quote, <laughs> fission. And Trellis found to his surprise that Leslie was not a noble woman as he had supposed, uh, but something called a, a, a metallurgist. Mm, eh. Uh, these terms meant nothing to him uh, but the teeming activity of the camp and the matter of fact in which the miracles were daily performed made him begin to understand that the high superior had meant uh, when he said that together the races of Terra and Lar might one day rule the solar system. Well, the machines are magnificent. A uh, graceful projectile uh, that was the star uh, spaceship was uh, fired. Trellis's imagination, if any doubt remained in his mind, it always shattered ir irretrievably when Leslie showed him the mining operations. Really? She's going to take him a tour of the mining operations? Oh, God, here we go. Thus far, they had begun only an experimental basis. The Trillians wisely uh, wary of extending themselves before permission to re uh, remain as 
was granted by the Lar, but even on a small scale, Chalisar stirred him more deeply than he had any of the other wondrous things he had been shown, the mining operations. That's what stirred him. All right, fine. Since the deserts of Lar were almost pure iron oxide, it was explained to him that they were the result of the ubiquitous iron's propensity for uniting with oxygen. The result, after many eons, was that the air was actually rusting away. The air was rusting away. Okay. By the marvelous miracle of Terulian chemistry, the iron oxide was broken down into its constituent elements. This resulted in a stream of iron ingots and uh, dot, 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 uh, free oxygen, exclamation point. Trellis was quick to realize that this process would mean to Lar over a period of time it was made universal. Great quantities of the precious oxygen uh, would be released to the air uh, to revitalize it, and later to combine with the large amounts of hydrogen in Lar's atmosphere to form water. The Trillians had in fact already set up a pilot plant. Oh my god, it's getting boring again. I'm going to have to do the monotone voice. We gotta get through this. Here we go. The Trulians had, in fact, already set up a pilot plant where the oxygen and hydrogen were mixed to make the water what they needed for their own purposes. Part of it was used for drinking and bathing, and part of it was used for puddling the iron oxide before it was passed through the separation process. Great pressure hoses washed the impurities from the inferior oxide, even as the trellis watched it sounded. Never had Laurie had seen precious water treated so carelessly, but with a great effort, he was able to acclimate himself finally to an economy of plentiful water, and the sight of great streams of it churning in the desert of reddish mud shocked him less and less as the days passed. Burp. Only two thoughts marred Trellis's happiness during these days spent at the camp. Uh, first, first he thought of Gorla's fate. Oh, good, he still remembers Gorla. Uh, remained with him always. And they could probably send a ship back to get him. But screw Gorla, he made his choice. And he resolved that his friend's sacrifice would not be for nothing. Yeah, just go send a ship back. He's probably still out there. And second, there was the Maldia. Now, with Prince Bran at its head. Yeah, more than ever, it was a threat to the safety of the people of the third planet, to himself, uh, to the Lar, and by extension, to the world of Lar itself. Now, nah, Chalice resolved that he must return immediately to the capital and lay his findings for Lar. That only in the way that could, uh, with the danger of the Maldi could be removed with a safe conduct from the Supreme Ruler confirmed publicly the, the Maldia would not dare to attack the camp. Ah, their sled was repaired, and, and Trellis made ready to leave the following morning over the protests of Leslie and the camp medical staff who contended that his wound was not yet sufficiently healed. But ah, Trellis' resolution had come too late. Even as the sled was loaded, a, 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 a shout from the watchtower brought the whole camp out into the streets. With a sinking heart, Trellis heard the words of the camp guard. Oh, the Maldi had come, and the camp found itself surrounded. Part six. My God, how long does this go on for? I just want to eat a snack and watch some television. Trellis hurried with Leslie to the watchtower, and his horrified eyes looked out over the surrounding desert. Fully 5,000 gusky men and women. Harry. Nakey, gusky women surrounded them, led by at least 500 well-armed and six-mounted uh, warriors. Oh, Trellis recognized many of them as his former comrades of Maldia, and the Prince Brand was there. Oh, Prince Brand, you son of a bitch. Trellis felt a hot wave of hate for that man, and I feel it too. I feel it because I'm getting Stockholm Syndrome, uh, syndrome with this book. Thus far, they had made no move to attack, 
And that in itself showed the characteristic mark of Bran's leadership with a force of uh, 5,500 fighting men uh, against an even 200 poorly armed men and women, uh, mostly yeah, elderly scientists. Yeah, yeah, Bran still chose to proceed with caution, lest the unexpected defeat him. Trellis started. The unexpected exclamation point. Oh, he let his mind harken back to the stories of the older temple priests told of the mythical coming of the water goddess. And he thought of the books he had been uh, read dealing with the forgotten science of weather on Lar. Ah, well, quickly he called a meeting of all the department heads. Meh, leadership fell on his shoulders uh, like a cloak. For among all these learned men, the women, uh, he was the only warrior. <laughs> and that's what you really need. One woman suggested that all the personnel of the camp move into the starship and that they lift the craft of the air, spraying the attackers with the deadly radioactive exhaust gases. Wait, their exhaust on these ships are radioactive? So you're flying it and you're just killing stuff down below you? Great science, but the ship's navigator vetoed that idea quickly. Uh, there was fuel enough only for the return flight to Terra when the next the two planets came into conjunction. Moreover, such a move would destroy the camp and all its machinery, negating the entire purpose of the expedition. Uh, it was then that Trellis stepped forward with his plan. The Terulians, man, they seemed doubtful that it would work, but Leslie, who had been among the Lorans uh, more than the rest of them, convinced them that they could lose nothing by trying. Tellus is of Lar, she said to them, and he knows the ways and beliefs of his people. I, uh, for one, think that his plan is our only hope, outnumbered as we are, and by savage fighting men and women. Our only chance is fear. It saved our lives before, and it can again. Nah. Uh, when the technicians had left to modify the necessary equipment, uh, Trellis summoned up the non-essential able-bodied men, arming them with a few Terulian uh, powder guns that were available with whatever mm, cutting weapons came to hand, and he made uh, to lead them to meet the attackers. Oh, good. So they're back to knives and swords for a whole battle. What's needed? Uh, Trellis and his respiratory, respirator masked makeshift company determined to gain that time. He stationed his men near the main gate to the camp and walked slowly out toward the masked attackers, tensely aware that at least uh, Prince Brand had him at a real disadvantage, knowing that to convince these caste-ridden fanatics and savage cannibals that the attack should not be launched... Uh, would be next to impossible. Oh, oh, Trellis evolved a stratagem that might save a few precious moments. And the Warlock Society of Alar had developed a very strict code uh, duello. Well, now I gotta look up duello. It's a set of rules for one-on-one -on -one combat. Well, fine. I could have known that. Why did I bother looking that up? As it was among the most warrior civilization on Earth, or face were of the most utmost importance. He himself, by disappearing on the eve of the Maldia's planet attack, had lost face. Now he resolved to turn this fact into a weapon against his attackers. Oh, uh, Brand there, he hailed. Come forward. Prince Brand squinted across the distance to see if he could recognize the speaker. Uh, slowly, recognition came, and with it, a fulsome satisfaction. This was better 
uh, than he could have hoped for. Ah, so it is my lord Trellis, returned from the realm of the goddess to guide our hand against the invaders. He smirked. Come, uh, join us, illustrious uh, phantom. We are about to complete the work you so nobly began, uh, the night you decided not to risk yourself. Oh, eh, for a moment, eh, there was a silence among the noblemen of Maldia. And then the, oh, the laughter started, uh, like they laugh at old Glenn. It was what Trellis had expected. It was ironic, bitter laughter for one who had failed the warrior's code. Now, to these men, he was a coward. <laughs> and even the, even the naked savages laughed, all oh, the hairy naked ones, uh, though they did not understand uh, the reason for it. No, no, savages. Trellis' fury rose under the goading mirth, but he knew with some satisfaction that all the pavalier was taking up precious minutes, stalling the attack that he could hold at bay only with his wits. You, Brand, said Trellis slowly and distinctly, uh, are a usurping rogue. Uh, uh, your, your mother was a she-sith. Oh, here we go. <laughs> your father, a gusky slave of questionable ancestry. <laughs> These are the least insulting things you could ever say. Your mother was a she-sith. I'm going to have to start using that on just, just people on the street. You are a coward and a pandering lackey. Ah, said quiet settled on the serried ranks, and Trellis continued with his insulting monologue. Oh, I'm sure this can be even better. I challenge you to fight me here and now, so that I can strip the hard ass from your puffy carcass and throw it to the Siths. Refuse, and I will come get you. That low moan of rage. A moan of rage? What does that sound like? From the ranks of the nobles, never had a high-born prince been so grossly and deliberately insulted. According to their code, there was only one possible answer, and they awaited it with eagerness. Brand must fight. But Prince Band was no fool. Uh, he knew Trellis for a swordsman, and he strongly suspected some sort of trickery uh, from the two silent camps. Still, he knew that Trellis must be punished, and before the troops or his hold over them would fail, it could be done without placing himself in jeopardy for the sake of a gallant gesture. Oh, he turned to an equerry, not looking it up. Bring him to me, dead or alive. That's not much of a duel if you tell someone else to go kill him. Uh, you just told your whole team that you're a giant coward. Trellis heard and gave an insulting laugh. Bleh, uh, preferably dead. Uh, brand, that's E-H, Brand. The query looked pained. He turned to Brand. Sir, he has offered a challenge. It would be in very bad form to bring him, Brand snapped testily. Oh, I love the word testily. I've always loved the word testily. If you are afraid, take a company, the officer stiffened. The officer stiffened. I am not afraid, sir, though uh, others are. He wheeled his sith and trotted towards Trellis. Get back, Captain, ordered Trellis. My quarrel is not with you. Write him down, called Brand. The officer unsheathed his lance and laid it in rest. Leveling it at Trellis, he dug his booted heels into the Sith's flanks and, and thundered across the sand, leaning low in the saddle. Trellis stood braced, and just as the animal came abreast of him, he stepped aside, uh, catching the tip of the lance under his arm and whirling. 
Oh, the movement of the weapon overbalanced the officer, and he, eh, he tumbled from the saddle to the sprawl in the sand uh, with a mortified howl of rage. Uh, what is a why, why a howl of rage? Uh, the man was on his feet and upon Trellis, but his fury made him careless. Trellis's sword flashed out uh, at the point, found the officer's sword arm, piercing it neatly and ending the encounter with a flourish. Now, yeah, sounds kind of fun. Trellis turned to face the attackers once again. Now, Brand, he taunted. Will you come out uh, to do your own dying? <laughs> or will you send another lackey to take the steel meant for you? Oh, Brand's heavy face darkened. For answer, he raised his hands to the burglar's attack. The force swept forward like a great tawny wave, shrieking and cursing. Trust stared aghast. An attack he had been expecting. And even the possibility of the Maldia finally taking the camp had occurred to him. But the 5,500 roaring madmen uh, would attack one man was more than he prepared himself for. Death seemed a certainty. And a fleeting image of Leslie. <laughs> I'll never get over the name Leslie in the sci-fi novel. It's like if you just had a guy named Steve. And then Steve came in. Steve was like, hey, guys, what's going on? Hey, you got Leslie. Swept across his mind. He lifted his feudal swords and murmured a prayer to the goddess. That's five dots. It was answered. The rain came like a gift from heaven. Uh, from the nozzles of the camp's pressure hoses, there poured a great effluent of pure, cold water. It rose in a graceful curve high in the air and spilled down to lash the red sand into a morass and spray the attackers. Trellis uh, himself, what are they afraid of water, was caught up in the wonder of it and the effect on the Maldian's fighting force of the Gusky was nothing short of miraculous. Uh, the charging savages pulled up, uh, faces lifted to the sky in, in, in mute, mute amazement. But then came fear. Shrieking, mad, insensate fear. Rain was falling where no rain had fallen for 10,000 heads. God, I hate that measurement of time. The goddess had opened up the floodgates of heaven and the stuff of the sky was falling down on the sinful lar, dropping their, their weapons though they fled out of the desert, away from the accursed place that the goddess had chosen uh, to enchant, exclamation point. And in their flight, uh, they carried the mounted nobles of the Maldia, cursing and uh, shouting, yeah, trying to regroup their shattered cohorts. Uh, Trellis stood in the downpour, his body uh, tingling to the touch of the precious water. Now he was thinking not that this trick of the Cerulean Technics had saved his life, rather he was he was thinking of Lar and what this could mean to the planet. The, the deserts could be conquered. The world could be redeemed. I love that when rain is an option in a place that there's any rain, his first thought is, ah, now I can conquer the deserts. <laughs> Presently, the water stopped, and a Trulian from his company ran forward to shout, Trellis, uh, look there, uh, aircraft. Trellis looked skyward, and the door to the future seemed to slam shut in his mind. Fully 200 air sleds were beating rapidly toward them. The Maldi again, uh, more of them. Trellis looked out into the desert. The mounted force had abandoned the attempt to regroup the demoralized Gusky, ah, but it had formed into a flanx and was returning to the attack. Automatically, but without real hope, Trellis motioned his men into the extended order. They were caught between two forces, helpless between the Sith Mount Maldia and the Airborne Contingent. 
God, this is boring. The irony of it caught at his breast painfully. It was bitter hard to die just at the break of a golden age. A golden age that would never come now. Now! He could make out Brant's face far to the rear of the mounted column. Glancing over his shoulder, he, he saw that the sleds were almost upon them, too. Trellis braced himself for the attack, and then with a roar of jets, the air armada passed low over his head and began disgorging warriors into the rapidly narrowing strip of sand between them and the Malia. For a moment, yeah, Trellis was stunned yeah, by the strangeness of the maneuvers, and then, it, then his astonished eyes caught the gleam of the device blazoned on the ground sleds. It was the sword and atom of the temple. <laughs> I hate that logo. A sword and an atom. How 1950s can you get? With the with a glad cry. Yeah. What does that sound like? Ha <laughs> ha! I don't know what that sounds like. He leapt forward to greet the temple guardsman. Snatched from the brink of the disaster, the camp now reveled in a surfeit of friendly warriors! Exclamation point. The Baldia halted in confusion and air sleds moved out to cut off their escape. Oh, Trellis searched the ranks of the temple troops for, for some explanation of the seeming miracle, and his eyes found a familiar figure. It was battered and bandaged, but unmistakably, Gorla! Oh, he's back. Someone finally went out and got him and gave him a ride. Now he caught the priest by the arm and spun him around with a shout. Again, you grab him by the arm and you go, ha! As <laughs> you spin him around. These, it's, uh, the writing, I'll stop. I'm going to move on. I got to get through this book. The familiar round face reddened with pleasure, and he threw his free arm around Trellis. You have, uh, you have healed, Trellis, he cried. Oh, yeah, more ways than one, he added significantly. Uh, I see you leading the defense instead of the attack. Oh, I bet, uh, thick-headed fool, Gorla, but you... How are you here? I, oh, you thought me meat <laughs> for those gusky back in the desert that night? Trellis nodded. The priest laughed. Nah, by the goddess, I thought you were going to get up. It'd give us trouble that night. I suppose I should be thankful for your wound. You, you never would have left me otherwise. But, but how did you, Trellis began. The temple takes care of its own, Trellis, my friend, said Gorla. We were being followed at a distance all the way from Dorlis by a guardship. Of course, uh, when you threw my transmitter over the side, uh, they lost us. But you were the one who had to be convinced about the truly, and so I stayed. Uh, and there were a few bad moments. Uh, well, once or twice, I thought the Gusky had me cold, but uh, the guardianship was searching it. And found me before the brutes. Mm. Brutes! could finish me off. Since then, we have been standing uh, by a doorless, waiting for the Maldia to move. Well, here you are. Thank the goddess, breathed Trellis. They stood surrounded by temple guardsmen, the Trulians watching the air sleds break up and the Sith-mounted force of the Maldia. Uh, the back of the assault was broken. Riderless animals careened about wildly through the confusion, and the people were pouring out of the camp to greet their liberators. Uh, who led him? asked Gorla, indicating the sullen nobles. Trellis looked around for Prince Brand, but he's nowhere to be seen. Then his sharp eyes caught a cloud of dust moving rapidly across his... It would be a Brand. Uh, he alone of all Maldia was uh, cynic enough and coward enough uh, uh, to throw over the battle-to-death code at the first sign of opposition. With an oath, oh, Trellis... Caught at a Sith and swung out of the saddle. There, he shouted to Gorla, pointing. If he escapes, the Maldia will form again. Trellis 
kicked the sift savagely, and the animal plunged off pursuit of the fleeing renegade. Uh, at full speed, the Sith carried Trellis out of the desert uh, for half an hour. Oh, there was no loss or gain. Prince Bran's animal holding its lead tenaciously. Already, the prince had turned to see that he was being followed, but Trellis' beast was fresher. And now began to narrow the distance. Oh, they were well away from the camp when Trellis caught up. Riding in, he cuts across the path of Bran's animal, forcing it to break stuff. Oh, Bran slashed wildly at him, but Trellis parried and dodged under the uh, other guard. Then, hooking his knee under that of the struggling prince, oh, he, he heaved upward and dislodged him uh, from the saddle so that he tumbled to the sand. Trellis reined in the Sith and leaped to the ground. Brand was already on his feet, sword in hand, his face contorted with fear and rage. Trellis advanced steadily, hate, 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 coursing through him. If Brand had been a faint heart before, it was not now when his life depended on the skill and cunning. Even as their swords crossed, Trellis knew that his work was cut out for him. Oh, there was no sound but the clash of steel and the labored breathing of the two men as they locked in combat. Uh, for, for almost a quarter of an hour, a quarter of an hour, they fenced without appreciable gain on either side, but Trellis was younger, and the strain was beginning to tell on Brand. Oh, oh, he knew that he must win quickly or die. Stepping back, now yeah, Brand snatched the helmet from his head and then threw it full of Trellis' face. Trellis' sword made a glittering arc. In the sunlight as it caught the missile and knocked it to the side. But for the moment, he left himself unguarded. Bran lunged in to sink his point into Trellis's naked thigh. When's the romance going to happen in this book? I thought this was like a futuristic romance, and so far you just kind of have mildly erotic fight scenes? Trellis hmm, staggered. Did not fall, the painful wound stung him. And Bran, thinking that he had scored a telling blow, launched a furious attack. Oh... Trellis backed steadily across the sand, leaving a trail of blood. Oh, he measured the pace carefully, and when Bran paused to catch his breath, Trellis eh, fainted at his head. Oh, Bran's blade came up jerkily to meet the thrust, and Trellis stooped, whirled his point under Bran's guard, and lunged with all his force. I guess this is considered exciting writing. The, the blade sank deep into Bran's chest. Oh, Bran gets it. Trellis stepped back and slipped it free. The renegade stood for a moment, staring unbelievably at the wound in his chest that bubbled a, a bloody a, a froth. His arms stiffened, and the swords he held dropped noiselessly to the sand. Very deliberately, he sank to his knees, still staring at the wound. Then he pitched forward under the sand, face downward. He was dead. Well, Charles started, started his Sith wearily and mounted. He turned his back toward the camp without another look at Bran and all the fury and excitement of the battle was washed out of him. Uh, he felt uh, very tired. Uh, the gentle movement of the Sith's gait helped steady him and he rode slowly along, looking over the waste of the great red desert, envisioning the land as it would be one day, green and fertile, alive under a sky no longer starkly clear, uh, but laced with clouds that would bring soft rains Oh, and stirring life from the land. Oh, he topped. The final rise before him was a Trulian camp and the tall, beautiful projectile of the spaceship. Now the throngs of mixed uh, Larian and Trulians were shouting and cheering at the end of the struggle. Now the future seemed assured. Trellis promised himself that the future of the Trulians on Lar would be one with his own, and someday he thought perhaps he would see Terra or even the stars. It would be a great task 
he reflected, his changing the face and fate of a dying world. But together, the redeemers and the redeemed could work it out. Trellis knew somehow that the thing would be done, and a figure detached itself from the crowd and ran toward him, calling his name. It was Leslie! Ah, with, a, with a quickened pace, uh, he made his way toward her. The door to the future opened, and he stepped back through without looking back. Well, now that we've retired to the smoking room, we can review this pile of horse crap. Uh, so Tellus, who I decided to rename Trellis because it was more fun to say, he tries to break free, but it was super easy, and the I guess it was planned to let him break free as some master plan of trying to get him to understand the Cheruleans are nice people. None of that made sense. Uh, why, out of nowhere, does he gotta grab this woman that he saw once and uh, force her out of bed? And then when she's got a CPAP on, because she's got sleep apnea, uh, he accuses her of being a drug addict. And uh, didn't like the way that she started to look sicker and sicker. Like, ah, you're gross. You're not as attractive as I thought you were earlier because of the dark circles under your eyes and how your lips are turning blue. Turns out she has a tough time breathing the air on this planet, and she just needs to breathe air. Then... For some reason, she doesn't mind being dragged along this thing. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, then there's uh, battles with naked ape-like men covered in hair, I guess. Uh, men and women. And during this battle, uh, she kisses him. So I guess that's the romance in this book? I was expecting far more romantic scenarios. Uh, far more, like, Star Trek from with like from the '60s, like where they suddenly kiss a green woman and make out and stuff. I was expecting more romance, but all you got was a kiss from her and a lot of insinuations about sword fights and how hot and the heavy breathing and the fingering of the swords and the, and the glinting and the and the shock and the moans that they make. The moans that they make during battle from anger. Ugh. And in the end, uh, they bring rain. And, uh, and then he thinks, oh, good, I can finally conquer this land. So just a jerk all around. Uh, and there's not really much romance. He keeps thinking of her, uh, whatever her name was, Laura. Uh, Leslie. Keeps thinking of Leslie all the time. I'm so in love with Leslie. Why? Why would you ever be in love with Leslie? You have no emotional connection to her. You barely shared experiences except for abducting her. This book makes me mad because it was so long. Uh, what's good about this? Nothing. Well, maybe... Leslie, having the name Leslie in the middle of this ridiculous book with bizarre names was pretty good. What sucks? The length of this book. The lack of romance that I was promised when I came into this thing. Uh, what do we learn? That if you, for any reason, listened all the way to the end of this episode, what kind of person are you? I'm the one reading this book, and I didn't want to finish it. Why are you still here? Who are you? Go Go outside. But, I guess thanks for listening. I got nothing else to recap on this. Maybe, uh, an endeavor of labor pays off somehow. And it will pay off. This is the perfect way, actually, to end this thing. Because now, 
Uh, June is going to be the month of Serena Dory. She was nice enough. She's an independent author. Nice enough to let me have one of her collection of short stories. And I'm just going to read a bunch of those all month. Just a ton of them. Just spewing them out all over you. So with that, uh, listen to the next episode where I read a fun story from Serena Dory. Uh, and try to pretend like this one never happened. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from the Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a house nuzzle. So you got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left.